God is good. If you have your Bibles, open with me this morning to the book of Romans. And I'm going to do something very simple this morning, but um, I pray it's a blessing to you. Book of Romans, chapter 3. Can you give it up for our band and the singers? Chris works with the young guys, and he says, okay, you're doing, you're doing okay, but what are you going to do when Pastor Hans gets on the stage? Because they know I'm, I'm spontaneous like that. But I grew up in a church where we didn't practice anything. Not saying I recommend that. I just say we didn't practice anything. We got in and just had church, right? Book of Romans chapter 3. Thank you guys uh, praying for me. I was in Nashville a couple days ago and had a phenomenal, uh, phenomenal meeting with Kent Christmas. I preached on Sunday morning, and it, I mean uh, Friday morning, and it was like, it was, I thought the place was going to blow up. It was great. Amen? So Kent's coming here first week of October, you know, for our Breaking Barriers conference. So it's going to be great. We don't know how we're going to seat everyone. We may even do registration. And if we do registration, the church will get first dibs on it. But I don't know. We'll, we'll figure all that out in the next few weeks. But that's going to be great. Amen? As well as Tony Suarez coming. Tony's a wonderful, wonderful preacher. And he's, God's really using him in all kinds of circles, you know. He's... He's preaching for everybody, Jensen Franklin and Rod Parsley and Rodney Howard Brown. I mean, he's, he's, God's really blessed him. Amen? Well, the Lord is good. Someone asked me, a young adult asked me not long ago, what is the Romans road? Could you preach a sermon series on it? And I'm like, well, I could do Romans road in one Sunday, and it's something you need to know. And so I'm going to do it today, okay? There's a certain string of scriptures in the book of Romans that people have used for years and years to lead someone to the Lord, and it's been commonly known as the Romans Road. How many have heard of it? Look at this, great. And so I'm going to take you through those four steps this morning, and I think one of three things can be accomplished here. Number one, if, you, if you're not a Christian and you're in our church this morning, you've never committed your life to Christ, you can listen to this, and I'm going to give you enough food to take you into eternity. You can get saved off what I'm going to preach. All right? Number two, if you are a believer and maybe you want to know better how to witness to people who don't know Christ, your family, your friends, your work associates, I'm going to give you enough ammo right now that you can win the world to Christ. If you just go take these four steps, you can win the world. You can write yourself a script, as some people do, include your testimony in it, and you go for it. And you win the world to the Lord. Amen? Amen. Number three, I think this could be accomplished for all of us who are believers in here. I think as we walk through these, these giant doctrines, I don't hear much doctrinal preaching anymore, and it bothers me. I like self-help preaching and, you know, make me feel better. But, man, give me doctrine, because doctrine of the Bible, it's what holds me in the tough times. It's what keeps me going. You know, I know, what, I know the foundations of Scripture. So this is a heavily doctrinal, uh, biblical thing I'm bringing out. But I think for all of us who've been saved for a long time, 
it should be just shouting ground, it just rich, just feeding our spirits when we get back and see what salvation really means and the full import of it into our lives, okay? Romans chapter 3, verse 10. There's actually two verses here in this chapter that we can use, okay? I'm going to start with Romans 3.10. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none righteous, no, not one. So ancient accountants often wrote the Latin phrase, memento mori, at the top of their ledgers in large letters. And memento mori is a Latin phrase that simply means remember death. And they did that so that they would be in touch with their mortality every day. That they knew everything we do here is temporary. Jerome, great church father in the 4th century, who lived at least a portion of his life in Bethlehem, he translated the ancient Greek and Hebrew scriptures into Latin which became known as the Latin Vulgate, which was the Bible of the church for centuries and centuries. Jerome worked out of a basically a cave under the church of the Nativity in Bethlehem. If you've been to Israel with me, as many of you have, we've visited there. And what's amazing is coming out of the church, there's a courtyard there, and the courtyard has a statue of Jerome. At the base of it, it says... Hieronymus, which is the Latin for Jerome. And then at his feet is a human skull. Because we're told that as he worked in translating all of those years, he always kept a human skull on his desk. I don't recommend that, but he kept a human skull on his desk to remind him of his own mortality. C.S. Lewis said, If you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were those who thought the most of the next. Why am I saying these things? If if we have a clear view of the end, then it should calibrate our lives for the present. If we understand where we're going, and we have an end in view and understand what eternity is and how to get there, then it should change how we live in the here and now. And a lot of people are so aimlessly wandering because they don't have a clear view of what's ahead of them. There was a lady named Florence Chadwick who in 1952 tried to swim from Catalina Island to the mainland shore of California. She had been the first woman to swim the English Channel both ways. But the morning she tried to swim off Catalina Island, the weather was foggy and chilly, and she couldn't see but just a few feet in front of her. There were boats on either side of her. In one boat was her mother just to be there encouraging her to make it. And she eventually gave up got rescued by one of the boats only a half a mile from the shore. And in the uh, press conference afterwards, she said, all I could see was the fog. I think if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. 
If you see the end, you can make it. Amen? It does. If you know what's in front of you, it changes how you should live now. One more story. So uh, Ray Comfort gives this illustration. He says, let's imagine there's this guy on an airplane, and the stewardess comes up, and she says, Sir, would you like a parachute? And he says, Sure. He tries the parachute on, and it's heavy, it's uncomfortable, he's bent over in the seat, and he gets mad, and he takes the parachute off and throws it down in the aisle. That's one scenario. Another scenario is this. A stewardess comes up to a man and says, Sir, in 15 minutes, this plane is crashing. Would you like a parachute? He says, Yes, ma'am, I would. He doesn't matter how cumbersome it is. He doesn't matter to him how heavy it is. It doesn't matter how it makes him feel. He knows he has to have it on. This is what I'm doing. I'm telling you what's up ahead today. And if you think, well, this is an inconvenience for my life, you need to be thinking about what's on the other shore awaiting you. There is a problem in humanity. And it's, it's, it's our issue, it's our problem, and our problem is sin. This is the first stop on the Romans road. Our problem is sin. For all have fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned. All have fallen short. There is none righteous, no, not one. It's a depressing view of humanity, but it's the truth. All have sinned. Every single human being that has ever come into humanity with the exception of Adam and Eve who were created in the garden and Jesus who had a miraculous birth. Every other human being has come into this life in sin. The psalmist said, in sin was I conceived. He was conceived in sin. So it's a problem common to us all. It's not like some get out of it, some don't. We all have been born into this sin problem. Years ago, G.K. Chesterton, who was a wonderful British author, wrote to the editor of a newspaper in response to an article that, that was published called, What's Wrong with the World? And so in response to this article, What's Wrong with the World? G.K. Chesterton wrote probably the shortest response the editor had ever received. He opened up the note from Chesterton and it simply said, I am. What's wrong with the world? I am. What's wrong with the world? You are. Sorry. I am and you are. There was an ancient doctrine called Pelagianism. Pelagius was a British monk who believed that Adam and Eve sinned, but it didn't affect anyone else. It was just their problem, and now we look at them as the bad examples of what not to do, but we're basically born without sin. And that was speedily shot down by Augustine and some of the early church fathers. Then there was a morphed form of that called semi-Pelagianism, which basically said man has sinned, and he was affected by sin, but he's not dead toward God. There's still a lot of good in him. But the way I read the Bible that we were born into depravity. We were born into sin in such a state that we were dead toward God. Paul said in Romans 7, 15, For what I'm doing, I don't understand. And what I will to do, 
I don't do that. But what I hate is what I do. Then he said, for I know that in me, that's in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For the will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I don't find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil I will not to do, that I practice. This is a tongue twister. But what he's saying is, in me, I want to do good, but I can't muster up the moral wherewithal to do what I want to do. So I end up doing the wrong thing. And I know there's different views on Romans, and I've taught classes on Romans, and we've had differences of views. This is my personal opinion. I personally see Romans 7 as Paul being lost. He's not because there's this eruption and crescendo that happens in Romans 8.1 that I'll get to later. But it's, it's him struggling, being bound, being captive by sin. Why? Because it's what sin does. The early church fathers called it in the Latin phrase, incurvitus in sea, meaning we are curved, we are bent over. Sin has bent us over, and therefore we can't see the world as it should be because we're so bent. There is a problem, and it isn't the Democrat Party. It isn't the Republican Party. It isn't Biden, and it isn't Trump. There's something that goes way deeper, way more systemic than that. Our problem is sin, brothers or sisters. You were born into it, and you might try to blame somebody else for all that's going on in your life, but we all have this big elephant in the room that we have to deal with. Our problem is sin. And, and this is the issue we have in America today. No one's lost anymore. We're even removing, even in my circles, they've removed the word sinner because it's offensive to people. I don't care. It's offensive. We don't want to call somebody a sinner because that might offend the seeker. (laughs) Well, Paul wasn't afraid to offend them. Isaiah wasn't afraid to offend them. The issue is nobody's in sin anymore. You just have some kind of dysfunction. We're all dysfunctional. It's called S-I-N. I'm not downplaying psychological problems. I'm just emphasizing and bringing out the issue of sin. That Okay, so, so Ray Comfort, you know, he's a great street evangelist, and, and he started witnessing to people on the streets using the law in the Old Testament, using the Ten Commandments. You're like, what? He, he said the reason was because he was encountering person after person after person, and no one was lost anymore. Well, you need to be saved. Why do I need to be saved? Well, you need Jesus in your heart. Why do I need Jesus? Oh, he's a great moral teacher. He's like Buddha or Hare Krishna or Muhammad. He's a great moral teacher, but there's many to choose from. But, but he's done great things for me. Well, I know people who've, who've meditated on rocks and it's done great things for them. Honestly. So you have to get down deeper than that and get to the the root of the problem, which is sin. So Ray Comfort started doing this. He said, let me ask you a question then. Have you ever lied? No, I'm talking white lie. Lie's a lie. People say, well, yeah, I've lied. Then you're a liar.
Have you ever stolen anything? Little thing? Well, maybe there was this one time. You're a thief. And people would be shocked to find out who they really were. We have a problem and it's called sin. We have, your neighbors have a problem. Your family has a problem. Your spouse. I'll leave that for you. You have a, I have a problem. It was sin. Come on, somebody. Second step on the Romans road, though, is Romans 6, verse 23. And I'm just going to read the first part of this verse. For the wages of sin is death. So our problem is sin, and our penalty for that is death. There is a reckoning. There is a payout to sin. There is a judgment to sin, and Paul says it's death. Now, what's he talking about death? Well, if you read Romans chapters 5 through 8, over and over again, he mentions death, and he's basically talking about spiritual death. Spiritual death. Even Jesus mentioned death in this way. He describes the Pharisees who were living and operating in his day as being dead because they prioritized their tradition over true faith. Right? Jesus often uses death as representing eternal death as opposed to eternal life. And one who is born again is described as one who has passed from death to life. And who will never see death again. Remember? So the penalty of sin is to be dead spiritually. Robert McTeague gives us four signs of a spiritually dead person. Number one, that person makes no effort towards spiritual things. They think my faults are permanent. It's the way I am. Virtue is impossible for me. I'm just not that religious kind of person. The, the spiritually dead person has no compassion toward the justice and demands of God. A stone-cold heart in the presence of sin and suffering. And in the presence of sin, there's no indignation for the rights and dignity of God, nor grief over the loss of a human soul. The person who is spiritually dead has no learning toward the righteous things of God. You know, when you love someone, you want them to tell you more about how they feel about you. And you want to exchange those thoughts. Well, the person who is spiritually alive wants to know from God how much He loves them. And they want to tell God how much they love Him. But the spiritually dead person isn't interested in that. There's no learning which indicates a lack of humility and an unreadiness to hear the truth. And then finally, the spiritually dead person has no repentance. There's no turning in them toward God, they're just continually walking along the path that they're in. Wow. Our need is sin. Our penalty is death. What about eternally, though? What happens to the person who isn't born again, who isn't, hasn't had their sins removed, who hasn't asked Jesus into their heart? I wish I could stand here and tell you something different. Because what I'm going to tell you is a terrible doctrine. 
but it's a biblical doctrine. And that is the only way out of this thing, the only solution I see to, the, to all the questions is at the end of this life, if you haven't accepted the Lord into your heart, you're going to hell. There's only two options in Scripture. One is heaven for the righteous. Second one is hell. What about the in-between, Hans? I don't see any in-between. I know a lot of the ancients wrote about purgatory and the Catholics believe in purgatory. I, I don't see it in Scripture at all. It comes out of the apocryphal books anyhow. I don't see it in Scripture at all because Paul said to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. And then Jesus gave this story of the rich man and a, a beggar named Lazarus. And the beggar was a righteous man. The rich man was an unrighteous man. And they both died. Jesus said when they died, the angels of God carried Lazarus into the place of paradise or the bosom of Abraham. But when the rich man died, he opened his eyes in hell. There was no third option. There was no disembodied spirits that walk the earth round. I don't believe in that. I don't believe in ghosts. I don't believe in haunted houses. But I don't believe grandpa comes and knocks on the wood table at night when we give a seance. I believe if you may, because every soul that's departed has crossed a gulf that cannot be that's fixed. That we can't go to them, they can't come to us. And so if they're gone, they're in heaven or hell. Okay? So, so are there things that move in the spirit realm? You better believe it. And if there are haunted houses, it's because there are demonic spirits causing manifestations. And this is why we're not to uh, participate in tarot cards, have seances, go to palm readers, read your horoscope. None of that matters to the saint of God. Hallelujah. Satan knows your past, but only God holds your future. And you have power and authority over all those demons that are coming against you. I had a couple come to me years ago in my church that we've been going to this old uh, Civil War era home, and there's been a guy talking to us there. We sit at the table and hold hands, and all of a sudden we hear. I said, hey, you are, you're treading into dangerous territory here because you're opening yourself up to demonic spirits. You're opening yourself up by those things. It's just wide open. Ouija boards, if the kids are playing with the Ouija board, get rid of it. I knew, I, let me tell you a story about the Ouija board. I didn't do this at, at, at 9 o'clock. Y'all get the bonus edition, right? <laughs> bonus track preaching, right? So I had, there was a good, really good friend of mine. He became a pastor, and I knew him. He was a, he was a youth pastor back in the day when I was uh, living in my hometown. But he said that there was a kid that came to a high school teacher that attended the church where he was youth pastor and said, he said, I'm scared, man. I've been playing the Ouija board. And Satan said through the Ouija board that he was going to kill me on a certain day. So he went to this teacher to get help, and he said, hey, can we pray with you? So they took him to church, brought the youth pastor out. Youth pastor said, he came up to him and said, I was just talking to him, man. You, God is real, you know, man. Bible is real, man. He said, I put my Bible on his chest like that and said, you know, you know God loves you. And he said, all of a sudden, a voice came out and said, no. Demon manifested right there. Well, they cast the demons out of him. He got baptized in the Holy Ghost at the end of the session. So I don't like Ouija board. Don't invite me to your house if you got one in your house. We're not going to play. Oh, hallelujah, I feel raw right now. Hallelujah. 
This is heaven and hell. This is eternity. This is freedom or bondage. Come on. This is real. This is more real than the physical stuff. The physical is going to pass away. The spirit stuff's always, it's, it's eternal. So we're going to have the word of God forever. Heaven is forever. We better get this stuff right while we're here in the here and now. There is a problem and it's sin. There is a penalty and it's called death. And if you slip out of this life without Jesus in your heart, you will not live with him for, throughout eternity. I've preached a lot of funerals in my day. And I don't like to preach. If I know someone was a saint, man, I'll sing their praises. But a lot of people have come to me, and I knew someone didn't live right, or I didn't know their lives, and always the family's where they're with Jesus now. And I don't rain on their parade, but I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to preach a gospel. Because we always want to believe the best in the end, but we lived our whole lives not giving any attention to God, eternity, the Bible, or righteousness. Preach on, brother. <laughs> I'm telling you. Well, I, 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 yeah. We have a need and we have a penalty, but thank God we have a remedy. Thank God we have a remedy. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, the third stop, but God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. Come on, somebody. Shout hallelujah. Thank God that God didn't leave us spiritually dead. He didn't leave us with hell as being our only option. He didn't leave us blinded like that, but he sent his only son to earth so that you and I would have a way to make it to salvation in the end and to have authority and be blessed and overcome sin in this life. We have a solution, we have a remedy, and his name is Jesus. The famous preacher James Montgomery Boyce in his commentary on Romans told a story. He said there was a young Russian military soldier who was a, the son of a close friend of Tsar Nicholas back in the days of the Tsars of Russia. He was caught stealing from the Tsar. As a treasurer of a border fortress of the Russian army, the young man was sent there to manage the czar's money and dispense wages to the troops. But he began gambling and trying to cover up his losses by borrowing from the army treasury. And so one day he heard that a government auditor was coming to examine the books. So he sat down and he added up all that he had stolen, and it was a huge amount. So he emptied out his own resources and then subtracted from, from it what should have been in the account and, and he noted the discrepancy. And he realized there's no way on earth I can pay this back. So under the amount that he owed in the ledger, he wrote these words, a great debt, who can pay? A great debt, who can pay? He couldn't and he knew no one who could help him. So he drew his revolver and decided to kill himself at midnight. As he waited for the clock to strike midnight, he fell asleep. And while he slept, the czar himself paid a surprise inspection visit. He saw the books, the despairing note, the revolver laid by the soldier's head, and realized that the young man had betrayed his trust. 
But rather than arrest him, he had mercy on him. He stooped and wrote something next to the man's note and quietly left. And so when the young soldier awoke, he picked up the gun, was about to pull the trigger, and he noticed this note. Next to where he had written a great debt, who can pay, was written a single word, Nicholas. And the next morning, a bag of coins arrived from Nicholas that covered the exact amount that he had stolen. You and I had a debt that we could never pay. I couldn't pay if I was a trillionaire. I couldn't pay my sin debt. I couldn't pay it with all my wealth, fame, accolades, degrees, cars, boats. I couldn't pay it. There's no way I could pay back the righteous justice and due that I owed God. But He came on my behalf. He came on my behalf. This spiritually dead, lost sinner. He came on my behalf and He wiped the ledger clean. And He paid everything that I owed so that I could go free and so that I could serve Him without guilt or condemnation. Come on, somebody. Come on, give Him a praise. Hallelujah. Paul said, this is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptance that Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. He stepped onto the bombsite. He walked through the rubble and the refuse and He came and He saw you and I and He picked us out. He didn't leave us alone. He didn't leave us to die in our sins. He didn't abandon us to our own evil pursuits, but Jesus came down and Peter said He Himself bore our sins. He Himself bore our sins. He Himself being a double emphatic statement that it was He alone with no help from anyone else. That it was He, God Himself, who came in human flesh because no one else was worthy to come and pay our sin debt. Hallelujah. Some people believe that Jesus just lived a martyr's death and lived as a good example. But I'm telling you, He was more than an example. He was a substitute. A martyr can be an example, but a martyr can't substitute our sin debt for us. Jesus was a great teacher. He was a great philosopher and he died a martyr's death but more than that, he came and substituted for Hans and he substituted for you and he paid a debt that we couldn't pay. Hallelujah. That's why one day when I see him over there, I'm going to give him all the praise and all the glory and for eternity be thanking him because he did something that no else could do for me. He brought me out of a devil's hell. Come on, somebody. He brought me out of the miry clay. He brought me out of a life of sin. Oh, hallelujah. Come on, somebody. Shout glory to God and give him some praise in here. Sin is so terrible that Paul said that all creation, it creaks and groans under the weight of sin. And all of creation is crying out, waiting for the manifestations of the sons of God. One day it's coming. One day the kingdom's coming in fullness and in power. And everything's going to be rectified. But as for now, he's giving out a salvation call, saying there is a remedy. There is a solution. There is an antidote. There is a substitution. There is a Savior. Come on, somebody, give him a shout of praise. 
Come on, say it. My need. My remedy. Hallelujah. My need was sin. My remedy is Jesus. My penalty was death. One more step on the Romans road. And it's Romans 10, 13. Now my response is repentance. He says in Romans 10, 13, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. We'll say it to this side. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Can it be that easy, Hans? It constantly blows my mind. He says in Romans 10, 9 and 10, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God's raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Is it really that easy? Yes, it is. It constantly amazes me that it's that, that He's made the salvation plan that simple. When we call on Him, there's a turning that happens in our heart. Two words, confession and repentance. Confession is, you know, saying it. To confess, you've got to say it. Lord, I'm sorry. Forgive me. I believe you are the Lord. You've got to say it. There's something powerful in confession. And then repentance is an action. Repent, uh, repentance in, in, in the original Greek means to turn around. It's a 180. It's like I'm going this way and I'm going to stop. I'm going to turn around and I'm going to go this way. Some people try to confess without repenting. And it doesn't really work that way. Confession and repentance are, are twin sisters. They go together. I confess but now I'm going to turn and I'm going to follow the Lord. I'm going to follow Him and follow His way. Ignatius of Loyola, who was a great writer in the 1500s, said this. He said, a call to the spiritual life is like God, going, God being a king who goes out to battle. And as He goes out to battle, He asks people to come and fight with Him. Come and join me. And if you join me, you'll share in the victory. But know if you join me, there's a condition. If you go with me, you got to eat what I eat. you got to sleep where I sleep. you got to suffer what I suffer. And then in the end, you got to do it dutifully without complaining. And I think that's what God is saying. Come and follow me. I'm winning a victory. But you got to give up some stuff. you got to turn from some stuff and follow me. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, when Jesus calls a man, come, he calls him to come and die. He said, take up your cross and follow me. The cross was a known execution tool in ancient Roman society. For us today, it would be, this is awkward, I know, but it would be like this. Come and take up your electric chair and follow me. Why? Because you're going to die. But in the process, you're going to gain eternal life. The famous New Testament scholar Leon Morris defined four words, and I want you to hear this, four words that describe our salvation. One of them them is redemption. 
Redemption means that Jesus paid a price that we couldn't pay. There was an exchange happening, and we were redeemed. The second term is justification. And in justification, it's a legal term, meaning that there was a legal liability against us, a judgment against us. And He came and took our place in the courtroom and wiped the the legal record clean. The third word is reconciliation. And reconciliation means that there was a, a point of contention or hostility between us and God. But when Christ came, He removed the cause of the hostility and now we have an open and free relationship with the Father. And the final term is this beautiful biblical term, propitiation, which means divine wrath was destined for us, divine wrath and judgment, but Jesus came and took our place, took upon Himself the divine wrath and judgment so that you and I could go free. It was our sin, but it was Jesus who bore it. It was our price to be paid, but He paid it. It was our victory to be won, but He won it. It was our penalty to be borne, but He bore it. It was our judgment to be faced, but He faced it, and He took it all so I could be redeemed, so I could be justified, so I could be reconciled to the Father, so all the wrath that was due me has now passed over. If you don't shout, I'll shout all by myself right now. I'm telling you. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. It means something to be saved. It means something to have peace with the Father. It means something to have your sins forgiven. It means something to be clear enough that you can come in church on a day like today and give Him praise without judgment, without retribution. You can come in here and say, God, I thank you. You pulled me out. Hallelujah. I've come from a long way, God, and I'm going to stand and I'm going to give you praise. Come on, somebody shout hallelujah. Come on, give him praise in here this morning. Come on, it means something to be saved. Two, two, two things, stay with me, two things that we're going to pray. Two, there are many outcomes of being saved. I'm going to give you two that Romans throws at us. Number one, he said, now we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Before there was, and the Bible calls it enmity, there was, a, there was something between me and God. Our relationship was broken. Our relationship, there was an issue going on, and Paul called it hostility. But since Jesus has come and saved me, he removed the hostility between me and God. And now I have an open relationship with the Father. Oh, hallelujah. Second thing Romans says comes upon us is he says in Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. So condemnation means a judgment. You were damned. That's a Bible word. 
We were damned, sealed, determined for hell as an eternal destiny. But because of Jesus, that judgment of damnation was taken off of us and cast away. So now if judgment's coming on you, it's because somebody else or the devil, it's not coming from the Father. Because that's been removed from your life and you've been set free. Turn around and tell about 10 people, thank God I've been set free. Come on, tell somebody. Come on, I've been set free. Come on, turn to somebody and say, this is what saved looks like. (laughs) Tell somebody, this is what saved looks like. This is what born again looks like. Hallelujah. This is what free looks like. Hallelujah. This is what heaven bound looks like. This is what sanctified looks like. This is what Holy Ghost filled looks like. Come on, this is what joy looks like. This is what peace looks like. Oh, come on. Come on, give him some praise in here this morning. Thanks so much for watching us online. We're so blessed to to live in an era where we can come to you uh, on this platform and be able to preach the gospel and worship with you right in your home. I don't know where you are today with the Lord, but uh, I want to close this time with prayer. And whatever needs you have, let's bring them to the Lord right now, but especially if you're not serving the Lord. If you've never accepted Christ into your heart, right now's the time to do that. All you have to do is open your heart and say, Lord, come in. I believe Jesus is Lord. Forgive me of my sins. I want to change. You make that decision in your heart, then God's going to come in and he's going to do the rest. Romans 10 verses 9 and 10 says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, then you'll be saved. In the book of Acts, it said, call upon the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. So let's pray for these two issues right now, okay? Pray with me. Father in heaven, I open up my heart. I repent of all my sin. And I ask Jesus into my life right now. And I thank you that my sins are gone. And I thank you that my life has changed. In Jesus' name. Now, Lord, I bring before you all the needs of the audience that's watching right now. Everyone who's hurting, they're struggling, they have issues going on. We bring those needs to the throne of God in the name of Jesus. And we ask you, Father, to meet them, to bless right now through the power of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody can say amen. Hey, we love you. Thank you for following us. Thank you for watching us online. And I hope to see you again.